Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. At this time, let's go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to study verses 1 through 13. The title of tonight's study is Trusting God in Your Ministry. Trusting God in Your Ministry. So as you open there or click there, swipe there on your device if that's what you're using, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the ministry opportunities that you allow us to be involved in. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who equips and empowers us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that across this campus and at other local churches where your word is going forth tonight, we we pray that your word will not return void, but that your word will accomplish its purpose. We pray for, for people to be drawn to Christ. We pray for believers to be strengthened. We pray that people who are here tonight, those of you who are viewing, that, Lord, by, by the time that this night is over, that people will, will leave and, and go to bed better than when they woke up, Father. And so we praise you. And I pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And again, it's trusting God in your ministry. So technically, when we talk about trusting God, we can, we can literally do a series on that. We could do a series entitled Trusting God and kind of fill in the blanks. And we can do that for several, several weeks, technically, because there's so many areas in which we need to trust God. But of course, tonight we're focusing on in your ministry speaking to the church, the believers, the, the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And ministry, by the way, is not just for pastors or elders or deacons or people on staff at a local church. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. But then take a peek at the following verse, Ephesians 4, 12. It says, for what? For the equipping of the saints. For what? For the work of the ministry. So it's not just for the pastors or elders or the the board. But no, it's for all of the saints, the church. And we're here to be Equipped, all of us are here to be equipped for the work of the ministry and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That is, again, the church. Now, if you've been doing your studies and you heard this many times, even here, that all believers have at least one gift, at least one spiritual gift. And all believers, therefore, are called to use their gift 
or gifts to serve. And that's what we call ministry. Ministry is service to God and it's service to people, not in our own name, but in his name. Now, like what one gentleman said, and I quote, therefore, ministry is what we do for God's glory based on where he placed us, how he has gifted us, and what he has called us to do according to his infinite wisdom and for the proclamation of the gospel. And so the goal of the study tonight is to glean those reasons and reminders of why we should trust God in our ministry or in our service. And, and if you're a believer, you're not serving in a ministry, you don't know where to serve. Now, I would encourage you to, to pray for direction. We heard one ministry opportunity just a few minutes ago. And there's many more where, where God wants to place believers. And so as we're doing this study, if you don't know what your ministry is, you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you should pray about that even during the study. And this study, by the way, is still applicable to you, even though you don't know what your ministry is at this time. Those of you who are unbelievers right now, our hopes is that you will become a believer by repenting and putting your faith in Christ. And then you too will be given at least one spiritual gift because God wants to use you, wants to use all of us for his glory. And in verse 1 in Mark chapter 6, as we march our way to these reasons and reminders of why we should trust him in our ministry, we start with verse 1. It says, then he went out from there. He went out from Capernaum, that is, and, and Jesus came to his own country and his disciples followed him. His own country or his home to- hometown being Nazareth. That's where he grew up, born, of course, in Bethlehem, named the house of bread. And it's interesting because Jesus is called the bread of life, but then he, he grew up in Nazareth, the scriptures tell us. And so he went from Capernaum to his hometown, and he went there, of course, to minister. He went there to serve. He wants to see people saved, to pass from death to life. Now, these people in Nazareth, they they tried to throw him off a cliff the first time. That is, earlier in his ministry, if you read Luke 4, verses 16 through 30, you get the background info on that. They tried to throw him off a cliff, but he passed right through him. It wasn't his time. But as you can see here, Jesus went back. Went back to Nazareth, his his hometown. But it also says that as he went back, his, his disciples, they followed him. And that's a reminder for us as believers that where Jesus goes, we need to follow And it includes following his attitude and it includes following his manner of life. Because what we know from the scriptures is that Jesus is loving. And so that's the type of heart we should have, a loving heart, a loving attitude. Jesus showed humility. 
And so we too should be humble and we too should show humility. Jesus, the scriptures tell us, was obedient to the will of the Father and and we should follow in his footsteps in being obedient to God's will. And the scriptures also tell us that Jesus was a man of prayer. He would often go alone and, and he would spend time with the Father in prayer. Even at a moment when he was going through agony right before the betrayal. Remember, Judas would go on to betray him. But even in that moment, right before the betrayal, Jesus prayed. And he was in agony. So he was a man of prayer. And we should follow in his footsteps and be people of prayer. In verse 2, it says, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and Many hearing him were astonished. They were amazed, amazed at his teaching. And and they said, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? Matthew 13 says, carpenter's son, speaking of Joseph, that was his trade. So Jesus took on that trade as well. So is this not the carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And the people from Nazareth, his hometown, they were offended. They were upset at him. But of course, we know, and many of you know, because many of you are Bible scholars here, we, we know that there is more than meets the eye when it comes to Jesus. We know that he is not just the son of Mary. We know that he is not just a prophet. He is not just a priest. He is not just a holy and a righteous man. He is not just a teacher or a preacher. He is not just a carpenter. There is more than meets the eye when it comes to Jesus. He is not just a person who works in wood or with wood. He is not just a person who builds things. In fact, Jesus builds lives. Doesn't just build cabinets and tables. No, he builds lives. He, he, he wipes off the, the, the past, the old ugly past that, that many of us have, and, and he builds us up afresh and helps us to be more like him. And that work is taking place in the lives of believers of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that same Jesus who built things back then, as a carpenter on earth, he's, he's building families today. Building, of course, the, the family of God. Without Jesus, there is no spiritual family. Birthed, of course, by the blood of Christ. More than a carpenter, he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the king and will literally reign on this earth. There is more than meets the eye when it comes to Jesus and the people of Nazareth, his hometown. They didn't understand it at that time. But, but now turning the, the lens to us, the camera to us now, there is also more than meets the eye when it comes to believers, people who've been born again, that that old life has been passed away, and and now it's a new us. We are considered new creatures or a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
The past is not applicable to us when it comes to, to judgment. We're not condemned anymore. We're given a new heart, a heart that desires the things of God. Born again. And so when it comes to believers, there is more than meets the eye of believers. But some of your family and friends and people in your hometown, some of them cannot see past who you used to be. Some of them can't see past what you used to do. Some people can't see past the fact that you used to be an athlete or that you used to be a game banger, that you used to be a thief or, or that you work in a certain company or you have a certain career. There is more than meets the eye than our past and our jobs and, and even our bank accounts. More than meets the eye. In fact, what are we? We are we are children of the Most High God. We are children of the King. We are citizens of heaven. We're in the world, but we are not of it. We are not of this world system. Our lifestyles are not dictated by the culture of this world. Our lifestyles are dictated by the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We belong to a different kingdom with a different set of rules, love God with everything within us and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Verse four in, in Mark six says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. In other words, Jesus is saying a, a, prophet, a prophet, excuse me, is honored everywhere except in his hometown, except amongst his relatives. Now he, as it continues in verse 5, he could do no mighty work there, except the scriptures tell us that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them and he marveled. He was amazed because of not something good, but because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit, the villages in the area of Galilee, and he was teaching. And so the limitation that was there was, was not in Jesus. The limitation in what he was able to do there was in the people who did not receive what he wanted to do by faith. And so God has all power. But people can limit it because of a lack of faith, because of unbelief. But note that these people, that their unbelief was something that Jesus was amazed at. And again, not in a good way. Just marveled at, look, I, I came here to be a blessing to you and I'm the son of God. I'm God in, in, in the flesh. And I came to help you and you won't receive it. The place where I grew up, he marveled at that. They had an advantage. They, they've seen him grow up. They knew about him. Obviously, they knew about his family, even his trade as a carpenter. And as indicated by verse 2, they even heard of the wonderful works that he was doing. And yet and still, they... They did not believe. He marveled at that. They had an advantage. And it's the same way with, with people who grew up in a Christian home. 
And they attended a church where the Bible was being taught from faithfully. They too are at an advantage. I, wasn't grow, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up with, with, with just my father, but I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But many people did, and so many people have an advantage. Even today, many of our youth have an advantage. So I see their parents here bringing their children to church, teaching their children the word of God, going before the Lord in prayer for their children. You're, you're at an advantage. And because of that, just like the people of Nazareth, they should know better. We should know better. Those of us, and I say us, although I, wasn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I say us just to not leave you hanging if you grew up in a Christian home and, and right now are doubting the word of God, doubting God, doubting whether or not your parents taught you the right way if they taught you from the word of God, rejecting what, what they've been taught. Why is that? Because some of them think that they missed out on something, that they missed out on some fun in life. I tell you what, those of you who grew up in a Christian home, you are so blessed. Because the only thing you really missed out on is the heartache and pain that sin brings. You, you, you missed out on those things that you may regret later on down the line. You, you missed out on those bad memories. And so just like those people of Nazareth were at an advantage because they saw Jesus grew up. They were around him. They knew his family. Just like they were at an advantage. You too are at an advantage, those of you who grew up in a Christian home. So don't allow Jesus to marvel at your unbelief. In verse 7 it says, And he called the twelve to himself. And he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits, over demons. Matthew 10, 1 says, and he also gave them power to heal all kinds of sickness and, and all kinds of disease. Luke 9, 2 also tells us what was a part of their ministry it says that they were to preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. Why? Because the king is near. But the question arises in many of our minds, why did Jesus send them out in groups of two? Why did he do that? I can imagine that there are some practical reasons. Maybe this was for just simple support. Maybe if somebody forgot a scripture, maybe the other person could remember it. Maybe if somebody got weak physically, maybe they can help them walk and make it to the destination. Practical reason. Or, or maybe it was just for safety purposes while they were traveling. Somebody tried to rob them, then the other one would be there to help. Or could it be they traveled in groups of two? For accountability purposes. Make sure that the other one didn't fall into sin or fall into temptation. But I know one clear thing from the scriptures for sure, because all of those are good reasons of, of why Jesus would send them out two by two. But I know one thing from the scriptures is that it tells us that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, 
every word, every matter, every truth or accusation even will be established or made firm. And I believe that's one of the main reasons. But turn with me if you have time to to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 because it's going to fill in some blanks before we continue back in Mark. Now, Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out and he commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And then it continues back in Mark 6, verse 8, now that we filled in the blank. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So, first of all, to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? They had first dibs pretty much on the gospel because they were given the prophecies. They were given the law. They were given the promise of the Messiah. So they were supposed to be an expectation of the Messiah. And so, of course, it would make sense that the gospel would be shared with them first and then was spread out to to other people, but they were to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were to expect their king. I like how Jesus tells them as well, as we just read back in Mark 6, verses 8 and 9, that there's some things I want you to take with you, some things I don't want you to take with you as you go minister. And so first of all, they were not to take a bag And that was a leather sack. And so travelers and shepherds would carry their provisions in this leather sack. They were also not to take any food with them, any bread. It also says not to take money in their money belts. Now, money belts is translated from a Greek word that means a girdle or belt, serving not only to gird, on flowing garments, but also, since it was hollow, they they would carry money in that girdle, in that belt. It also says that they were not allowed to put on two tunics, which was an undergarment made with or without sleeves. But they were allowed to take a staff. They were allowed to take a walking stick, in other words, and sandals. And so Jesus told them to, to not take some things that would, of course, have been useful to them. But notice that he told them that they could take things that would help them to walk effectively and quickly. And I wonder if the reason was because maybe Maybe because they had or was supposed to have a sense of urgency. 
that that staff and, of course, having those sandals and those of us who are wearing shoes, we could appreciate having something on our feet and we can move a little quicker. You see, there was a sense of urgency in the message that they were carrying. And so that walking stick, those sandals would help them to get from place to place quicker than it would without a walking stick. Because I can imagine the ground wasn't all flat. I've been to Israel and yes, there's a lot of rocks. It's not all stable ground everywhere you go. But also, yes, those sandals would, would help them to have as much of a solid footing as possible and they won't get as many blisters, maybe a few, but not as many. But that sense of urgency, what I want to focus on, and I just wonder, do we have a sense of urgency to carry out this important message that we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we have a sense of urgency? Right now, it's it's high time to share the gospel with those who are lost, with those who are on their way to hell, separated from God for eternity, there is no second chance after death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And the scripture says, then the judgment. That's it. There is no reincarnation. However, there are two resurrections. There's a resurrection for believers. Then there's a, the second resurrection. The scriptures tell us it's a resurrection of condemnation. Great white throne judgment, they'll receive their final sentence in the lake of fire. And so we want to be a part of the first resurrection. Read Revelation chapter 20, because if you're a part of the first resurrection, you are blessed. But but there's no reincarnation. We get one chance at this to repent and put our faith in Christ on this side of eternity. And also in verse 10 in in Mark 6, he he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that place. So don't bounce from house to house. Don't be disrespectful to the people. If if a a person in in a smaller house receives you and they don't have a whole lot of food, it's not fancy food, don't leave there and look for something better. Because first of all, that could be bad for your witness, first of all, make you look greedy and so forth. But also they have to remember that, look, their job was to be a blessing, not to find out how much they can get from people, from the people they were ministering to. And unfortunately, the attitude of some leaders in the church, even now or in the past, have hurt the church's reputation, have hurt the, uh, the church's leadership's reputation. And have caused some people to not want to go to church or, or give their lives to Christ because some people were greedy and taking advantage of, of God's people. But I would encourage you to not focus on the man, but, but focus on Jesus and what he taught. And an example of what Jesus taught for leadership is in Matthew 20. In the second half, or beginning at the second half of verse 26, it says, Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And he says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he also came to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is God in the flesh 
didn't come to be served, didn't come for people to lay money at his feet or to bring him a bunch of food, him living in the lap of of luxury. But no, he said he came to serve. And he says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You see, it's different in God's kingdom on earth. The, the, the people who are great in, in humans' eyes are those who have the most money or those who are the most famous and have the highest title. But in the kingdom of God, the greatest in his eyes are the servants. And so you want to make sure those of you who've been hurt by church leadership or, or the church, you want to focus on Jesus and what he taught because he taught that leadership is about serving in the body of Christ. In verse 11, we continue, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You see, Jews used to shake off the dust from off of their feet when they were in the Gentile territory because to them, the Gentile territory was unclean. But in the New Testament, this action indicates that those who have rejected the gospel have made themselves as unbelieving Gentiles and they must face the judgment of God. And so therefore, this shaking off the dust from the feet has the idea that, look, we try to lead you to Christ. But since you reject the message about Christ, then guess what? You're responsible for whatever judgment is coming upon you. And so now it carries that idea with it. And Jesus told them to do that if, if these people in these different cities didn't receive them or the message. But also an important thing to take from this that I want you to see is, is the phrase more tolerable. It says that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, these evil, these wicked cities than for that city that rejects the gospel. And so more tolerable, that phrase that I pointed out to you, it gives a hint that in hell there are degrees of punishment. So in other words, he's saying that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, these wicked cities, than for whatever city rejects the gospel. Why? Because Jesus, the king, has arrived. And the truth is made more clear. It's it's unfolded even more than it had in the Old Testament. We call that progressive revelation. And what it means is that these cities that they would go and preach to, they receive more light. They receive more knowledge than Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, they were responsible for more. They were more accountable. So again, that, that phrase, it hints at degrees of, of punishment in hell. And, and it hints at this as well in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. It says, and that servant who knew his master's will, You knew what to do. You had more light. You had more knowledge of the word of God. So that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. You're still guilty, but because you didn't know as much as these people, you'll be beaten with fewer stripes. 
again, degrees of punishment. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So those of you who've heard the gospel plenty of times, more is required of you. And so if you were to die in that spiritually dead state, separated from God, that separation will carry over into eternity. And your degree of punishment will be worse than someone who didn't hear as much as you. But either way, hell is not a place anybody should want to spend eternity. And so they went out in verse 12 and they preach that people should repent. They were preaching the gospel. And repentance, by the way, involves a turning with the state of having a remorseful heart. You're turning from sin to God and unfortunately preaching about repentance, turning from sin and turning to God is lost in some local churches. Unfortunately, you see people hear about the blessings, but not about the reasons for the cross. Went to the cross to deal with our sin. Scriptures tell us that where there's not shedding of blood, then there is no remission of sin. So in order for us to have forgiveness of our sins and restoration and a relationship with God available to us, somebody had to shed blood. The Son of God, he shed his blood for us. And so people don't, don't, don't preach about sin. They don't. And in not preaching about sin, they, how can they celebrate Jesus effectively? How can they do that? They don't talk about sin, then how can they preach repentance? See, a lot of folks don't want to talk about sin because they don't want to bring up that word repentance. They just want the blessings and talk about that. And not preaching that people should repent is dangerous because people won't understand the ugliness of it. You want to see the ugliness of sin? Read about what happened to Jesus when he was beaten and he hung on that cross. Without teaching about repentance, people won't understand the consequences of sin. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. People won't understand how guilty we are as a human race and that we all need a savior. There's no trying to be as good as we can be. And then in the afterlife, figure out if our good outweighs our bad. It doesn't work that way. We're going to always fall short. But I wonder if when these local churches, some of them don't preach about repentance and sin. I wonder if that's the reason why there, why there is so much shamelessness where there should be shame and why there is no godly sorrow that actually leads to repentance. I wonder why. Well, I wonder if that's the case, that there is shamelessness today. But in verse 13, it says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, that is olive oil, many who were sick and healed them. So as we have studied in this lesson tonight, we, we see that these disciples, that the 12 had many reasons to trust Jesus, many reasons to trust him in their service, in their ministry. 
And so do we. We have many reasons to trust Christ. And I just have a few reasons that I pulled from the text. I have about four reasons that I want to share with you tonight of why we should trust him in our ministry. And the first reason there is, is on the slide there. And it's that God is the assigner. Just like we saw in our lesson tonight that Jesus is the one who appointed. He assigned the 12 to the ministry to go out two by two. And that's an awesome point because God knows what he's doing. And so if he assigned you to a task, to a certain ministry, he did not make a mistake. He knew exactly where to place you. He knew exactly what gift to give you to use to be a blessing in the ministry he gave you. Because he assigned us, he'll equip us. But another reason to trust him in ministry is that we're not carrying our own message. We don't have to lay awake at night trying to figure out what to say to people. Because it's his message. If you remember what they preached in verse 12, it said that they preached that people should repent. That's not their message. That's Jesus' message. Because if you remember back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when Jesus preached, he said, repent and believe in the gospel. And so it's his message. We don't have to create our own. So that's another reason to trust him. In ministry, and guess what? If that message was good enough for Jesus, if it was good enough for the apostles, then that same message should be good enough for the church today. Because that message is certainly good enough for me. Oh, it takes pressure off of me because when, when I preach the gospel, when I tell people that, that we're all sinners, that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and when I tell people that the wages of sin is death and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, when I tell people that, oh, the pressure is off of me. It's not my opinion. So it doesn't matter what they think about me. Because really the problem that they have is with God. So if that message is good enough for Jesus, good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for us. But then the third reason we should trust him is the fact that he is our provider. And in verses 8 through 10, when he told them, what not to take, that's what he wanted to drive into their minds. You see, if, if God sends us, then he's going to provide. You know, even in Matthew 10, it's going to say the same things we read in Mark, but then it's going to add something else at the end, and I want you to pay attention to it. In Mark 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, Provide neither gold nor sil silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. And notice what it adds here. For a worker is worthy of his food. You see that? He's provider. And so what the Lord is telling them is that we don't have to worry about him not being a good boss. He's saying, look, if you work for me, if I send you out and if I tell you to take this or not take that, rest assured that if I assign you, I'm going to provide for you. Oh, he's a good boss who gives good benefits. Now, I remember the last job I worked at when, when I first started, uh, people bragged about how many benefits we had in a certain department. 
And I got hired in that, and it was awesome. And yeah, those benefits were good. You know, I worked at a university, and it was like, yeah, you can, you know, you know work on your master's for free and, and all this stuff. And that was a part of the package, the part of the benefits and health benefits for me and the family. And family can go to school with 80% off and all that good stuff. But year after year, it seemed like every review time, some of those benefits were being taken away. Like, oh, man, this is, this is crazy. Started up, 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 up here now, it's just going down. And, and there's been a couple times when we didn't even get raises at our review. And I had some of my best years, my best scores. But God is not like that. He's faithful. So we don't have to worry about him changing up on us. Oh, no, he gives good benefits. And as you look at that list, as our worship team comes up, as you look at the list of things he told them not to take, to don't, don't carry those things with you, it, it just makes me wonder if there are certain things that we take with us, that we carry with us in ministry that we should not take with us. It makes me wonder if we, if we carry things with us that we should not carry in ministry. Well, some of us are carrying too much with us. Some of us are carrying too much of us in ministry. Some of us are carrying too much of our own ideas in ministry. Some of us are carrying too much of our feelings and emotions in ministry. Well, I wonder if some of us are too carrying too much. And maybe he's telling us tonight to leave that stuff behind. I'm, I'm your provider. I sent you. I'm your assigner and I'm your provider in ministry. I wonder if he's telling us that tonight. See, God is the one he called us. He's the one who's going to provide the strategy. He's the one who's going to provide the wisdom and he's the one who's going to provide the power, which brings us to our last point of why we should trust him in our ministry. It's because it's his power. Oh, if I, related, if I relied on my own power, never get anything done effectively. I'll be burnt out so fast. You'll be burnt out quickly. You'll probably need the rest of the year off. But it's his power that he supplies. And it's our job to tap into it. It's like paying your electric bill and the electricity is on in the house, but you don't plug anything into it, into the walls, into the outlets. So you're not benefiting from the power. And so as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have power within us that if we would surrender and allow him to do his thing in and through us, oh, we'll be so effective in ministry. And understand this, this is not just any type of power. This is what we call resurrection power. That, that resurrection power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that works in you and in me. Oh, it's that same power that worked in the apostle Paul and Jesus. It's that same power that worked in Barnabas and, and Peter. It's that same power that worked in Pastor Chuck Smith and many of our great leaders some who are living today and some who have gone on. It's that same power. Oh, he's working through Pastor Jim. 
And many of you who are sitting right here, that resurrection power. And so it's his power. And if we operate in his power, then we cannot fail. And we cannot fail because he cannot fail. I just want to encourage you tonight, those of you who are afraid of being rejected, and I can fall into that trap as well, and maybe some of you have been rejected in ministry. I just want to let you know that in reality, God is being rejected. When, when his representatives, believers, are being rejected, it's really him being rejected because we are on assignment. But nevertheless, to continue on with that phrase, if we are rejected, I want you to keep all those previous points in mind, all of those reasons that I mentioned in mind of why we should trust him in ministry. He's the signer, right? He's our provider. It's his message. It's his power. But then, besides remembering, I want you to do what Jesus did. I believe it's in verse 6. What did he do when they rejected him in Nazareth? Oh, it says he went about in a circuit and he kept teaching. So that's the encouragement I want to leave you with tonight. When you're rejected or if you have fear of being rejected, remember those reasons to trust him in your ministry and and keep moving forward. Dust yourself off and And keep going in the circuit, so to speak, like Jesus did. And keep ministering. Because God doesn't quit. And and if we are are his children, we, we should have some type of resemblance of our father. And if our father doesn't quit, neither should we. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for who you are, what you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to partner with you in the work of the ministry. Oh, Lord, you supply the power. And, and I just pray, Lord, that those of us who are maybe a little lackadaisical right now, maybe some of us have been in the house so long we've forgotten about what God has called us to do. But although we, some of us may be in the house all the time for various reasons, Oh, Lord, you may lead some of my brothers and sisters to pick up a phone. Pray for somebody. Pray with somebody. I pray that you'll show them, even from home, what you'll have them to do. And those in this building, Lord, who've grown like a days ago in regard to your work. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would set them on fire. Lord, when that flame begins to decrease, Lord. I pray that you would increase it in us. Help us to be on fire for you, Lord. If there's anyone who's never received Jesus Christ and asked them to become your personal Lord and Savior, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And only if you mean it, would I ask you to repeat after me. So, Lord, I heard the gospel message. And I admit that I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I believe that you resurrected Jesus 
And I confess my sins to you. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask Jesus into my life to become my Savior, to become my Lord. And I ask your Holy Spirit to help me to live a godly life. Thank you for allowing me to become your son or your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. You can email office at ccfqc.org. You can also request prayer uh, for anything if you're already saved and you just need prayer. And for those of you who are in the building, we'll be at the front of the sanctuary praying, willing to pray with you as well. But if in any case you don't have a Bible, we are willing and, and, and very happy to send you one. I just want to thank you all for joining us today, those of you who are here in person and those of you who joined us online. So thank you for joining us. May God keep you. May God bless you. Have a blessed week and may God use you in a mighty way. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.